Hello, Acaville Radio. Welcome to another exciting episode of Talk Capella. I am one half of your host, Brian Alexander. Spider-Man is out of the MCU. I'm done. <laughs> it's over. It's over, man. I can't man. believe it. That That's sad, man. I, that, that's one of the things you just hate to see. You get on Twitter and you see all these different trending things and you see Spider-Man and you're like, uh-oh, we got something good. And no, it's I not. saw like Venom trending. I was like, oh, they're going to put Venom in Spider-Man 3. It's like, yeah, probably, but <laughs> Spider-Man's not in the MCU anymore and that's that's no. that's that's just what's on my mind right now. I'm pretty depressed. So hopefully this uh hopefully this episode will pull me out of my slump. I think so. I think that we're in for a good treat to kind of touch on something that might be near and dear to your heart a little bit. Okay. Uh, I, and that's a little setup for later, but we'll, hopefully it plays out. Is it a reveal that we're actually interviewing Kevin Feige and Tom Rothman and they've come to an agreement <laughs> on how to uh, co-finance the Spider-Man movies? That's actually episode 200. Okay. So. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is cuz this is 90 today this is yeah, 90 we got some things to kind of smooth out with their people my hope is that by the time this airs it'll be old news because they'll have come to a deal or whatever so it's like oh oh john uh, and brian living so. in the past that's what i'm hoping for exactly we can hope a man can dream yes well cool so uh, joining us today we have someone who is no stranger to the acapella community he has been in uh, the florida scene for quite some time doing some different works with groups out there from the christian dudes all the way to voice box and uh, now he's doing some big league stuff with the vocal company and i even just heard he moved out to boston so we're going to welcome our guest none other than mr harrison acosta harrison how are you doing i'm doing great hello i'm so happy to be here good we are so glad to have you how are you feeling about spider-man uh honestly i'm so sad that you brought it up because what tragic news i read it this morning and i've been thinking about it all day i was sitting at church yeah i'm doing some work for my choir and I was reading it and I'm in the little office space and I like almost tear up and I'm like, if I start tearing up at church, they're going to think like someone no. important died like or something. I'm going to be like, no, Spider-Man's gonna not going to be in my movie, the, in my favorite movies spirit. anymore. Yeah, they're going to think that something emotional and spiritual is going on. Well, it something is, Brian. Okay, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. I didn't mean to downplay that. I know. <laughs> anyway, Harrison, let's get back to you. So, yeah, man, you've been a pretty big name in uh, the collegiate space for a little bit of time now and I just kind of want to run down some of your experience here so maybe you can enlighten our listeners who might be new to the show who aren't as in tune to the vocal community as we are tell us a little bit about the work you're currently involved with as well as uh, what you've been doing as of recent oh that's so weird talking about myself okay <laughs> so yeah i started in acapella my freshman year of college like most people i started with the crescendo to my freshman year of college and that was a very different experience from where i am now but i did two years with them and then i went to camp acapella and i went to next level with the vocal Local company, which was great. And from that experience, I realized I did want to try something a little more niche, which I mean, not that co-ed acapella is niche, but I do think the uh, spookier, more fantasy inspired vibe that I've somehow found myself in is a little different from what I started with in the Crescendos, which was a more uh, very entertaining, very crowd-pleasing jam and groove. And, and you mentioned Next Level. They're kind of known and notorious for kind of being, I, I hate to say indie, but kind of being that little bit more of experimental vibe, doing something different than your contemporary mainstream usual stuff, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> which is funny. They do offer a lot of range of Next Level, which is really fantastic for 
everyone who's looking for a more advanced week long, like really like an intensive camp almost. But the, the camp that I went to was Next Level Electro, which was probably the most niche it can get. There were three students. We just studied electronic music, vocal electronic music, and then we just made really funky stuff. I studied with, oh my God, Jacob Resky from A Squared, who had come in with a full oh, nice. rig of basically every type of Nintendo controller hooked up to his, <laughs> all of his equipment. Just, it was so interesting to use a nunchuck to basically pitch bend. Like a Wiimote nunchuck? Yeah, literally a Wiimote nunchuck. He had those, <laughs> he had the pro controllers. I, I literally have seen it all at this point. We don't always get to speak a lot to the experimental music scene in uh, acapella that's kind of taking over. these. It used to be this whole, you know, we, we get Coldplay and then we get some oldies and, and then we get maybe <laughs> one or two, you know, rap songs and things like that. But now I'm feeling like so many more groups are really trying out this experimental fusion of different genres. It's almost like we're losing our grasp on what particular genre music's in because everyone is just infusing so much life and so much variety into it. And I'm just curious for you, where's a good place to pull inspiration from? Because I know that you do a lot in the, I don't know a better way to phrase it, but the different. And I like that. I like that it's not just straight top 40. I've seen the work that you've done with Voicebox. I've seen what you guys have done at Boss. Where do you pull inspiration from when you're crafting these kind of niche type of arrangements that's really i'm like really glad that you asked so like i hope a lot of groups can really take inspiration from like outside mediums i think what really started it for us was uh, i mean honestly at first was getting our asses kicked by lark they were just so <laughs> fantastic at so jam i didn't know what to do but talking to them and seeing what inspired them really gave our group a direction or at least enough inspiration to go and find something different i think we're I, I just am fortunate because I think where it comes from is that my background is a lot of like video game music and a lot of film score, yeah. and I enjoy a lot oh, of video right. game music. So that really influenced a lot of the music that I started writing. And I also my bachelor's degree is in orchestral performance, so like I'm an orchestra person. I'm, I'm a flute player by trade, and so I listen to a lot of like very I, I listen to like a lot of classical music from like Night on Ball Mountain to like you know a, a huge range of classical music. But mixing that along with the video game sound design, which is more recently a lot more electronic music as well really kind of led to voice boxes somehow electronic what we've been calling it ourselves is like nightmare pop <laughs> if i had one thing i could do is to try and create the genre nightmare pop but billy beat me to it so so it sounds like you're taking cues and inspirations from a lot of atypical sources that when someone talks about yeah. taking inspiration in acapella, a lot of people refer to, well, I'm taking, I don't know, trying to emulate a rock sound or I'm trying to emulate, because I mean, that's what most of acapella is, is emulation. And with something that is kind of outside of that kind of place that most arrangers are drawing from, I guess I'm wondering how you go about synthesizing that. Like, how do you listen to a piece of video game music and say, okay, I'm going to take this idea they're playing with, whether it's melodic or just timbre or text or whatever, and put it into the music because I really want to understand that mixing of boundaries there that you do so well. Where to start? <laughs> it's like a lot of imitation versus like emulation. A lot of people in acapella tend to imitate a lot of sounds and I mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of, I would say I'm not a huge fan of the sound of acapella in terms of, I don't like things sounding like the genre acapella. I want things to, I, I love the instrumentation acapella and I love music obviously. So uh, a lot of times when I'm looking at art, 
uh, especially with my group, I, I train them, teach them to look outside of music for our inspiration. So we look at a lot of art. We'll look at a lot of dance videos. There's a competition called Vibe on YouTube. It's well, I mean, it's not a competition on YouTube. They just the videos are on YouTube. It's like a West Coast huge competition where dance troops between 10 and 40 dancers will go out and do a 12 minute set. It's always wildly, wildly imaginative, and it's crazy, and it it really does inspire everyone because it's good to see other people doing things that you would never expect. Like, the, I think the groups that are usually at the top of the game in acapella are doing things that we haven't seen because they're not looking at other groups for, you know, for inspiration. They're looking at other art forms. Good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. So in terms of like an arrangement, could you give an example of when you've been inspired by another piece, a piece of film music, piece of video game music, whatever, and how that has come through in one of your arrangements? This is like a loose example, but for our last song at Boss, uh, we did a song called Half Year, our last song for the first round. Our entire set was inspired by a painting, but musically, there is the song itself that we did is the original is a bit repetitive. But what I wanted this this entire set that we created was this like internal battle, and it, honestly, for us, the sets the set message isn't that important. It's more about the atmosphere that we're trying to create for our audience. The if you listen to it, I mean, you can't listen to it. I guess it's not really anywhere. Although we have an album coming out, and it'll be on that album, so you can listen to it then. The ending we have on our like on the sheet music, it says final boss section. It's just a lot of <laughs> sections are very literally. Everyone is like, oh, uh, top of the set. Actually, no, wait, start from the final boss. It's got that same sense of almost looming, and, and a lot of that is created from. The textures that I'm using, which are not usual textures that you that people use in acapella, I think a very notable, like noticeable difference between our group and a lot of other collegiate groups is the textures that we're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that they're superior; it's just usually that they're a little different. We're using a lot of inorganic sounds by like using glottals or using very odd things that the human voice can do, which usually pull your attention. And a lot of the textures that we're using are used in orchestral like pieces. Or I, it's so hard to I don't want to like sing it; it just sounds weird. But if you listen to the backs a little bit more closely, you'll really notice that some of the things that we're doing are very atypical of what most groups would do. Got it. Yeah. And and it sounds like and I'm, I'm actually really loving this concept that you're bringing up when you're talking about all these inorganic elements. And, and in a sense, and I'm listening to you speak and I'm just noting the different references you're making to sort of like when you mentioned final balls and things like that. While there are these inorganic elements, it feels like there's also can be this level of familiarity in, yeah. in that in your music because I'm thinking back to video games you know that's childhood that's nostalgia at the end of the day so there's a lot of emotions that can be kind of derived while it's Mm -hmm. different than what we're seeing what we've been used to seeing I guess in this scene there's also an elements that you know it's it's going back to a place that the audience can understand even though it's different you're trying to evoke a different kind of atmosphere and feeling but one that's still that we all like kind of culturally understand yeah right and so I don't feel like while the presentation and while the delivery is obviously just leaps and bounds different and, and so great and amazing at the end of the day. I don't think it's so much over the listeners' heads. And I'm just curious, just in terms of impact, do you notice a difference of impact in regards to this music that has so much of these inorganic elements that you're creating versus piece that might be more mainstream, more top 40 type music? Do you ever notice anything like that? Yeah, I really do. And I really didn't at first. It took a while because you don't like just go in and you're like, yep, I'm successful now. Like I, <laughs> we, I mean, also it took a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Voicebox has been around for now five years, which is kind of crazy to me. But the time it started really sinking in, like what I was doing that was working was that boss win in 2018, which is literally just last year. It's just 
crazy to me now. I think the best way to describe it is I do arrange a lot by texture, but I arrange first by like function. I will go into a song that I'm like arranging and I will figure out what functions well. Like for example, I think the best example of this is Lost Boy, which mm. is on our album that has already been released. So you can listen to it. Lost Boy, I like particularly love the melody. I do love the lyrics. I have a personal affinity for Peter Pan. I love Peter Pan, but I wasn't a huge fan of the musical backs for it, for the original song by Ruth B. But what I love about the idea of Peter Pan and the idea of her lyrics, especially her singing the song about being a lost boy, was that sense of nostalgia. And I, so I have to think what creates a sense of nostalgia. And musically speaking, a lot of things that create that sense is a very classical feeling, a very counterpoint based. A string quartet would, has a sense of nostalgia for a lot of people. Whether you would notice or not, it's a very institutionalized idea. But our arrangement of Lost Boy begins with four voices and it's all written in classical counterpoint. And then when the backs come in, the chord progression has been completely changed for a like a chromatic descending melody. And these are all like, feel like they're sort of like high level concepts, but the idea of just chromatics has a very nostalgic feeling to it. And altogether in that song, the only thing that remains from the original is the melody and the lyrics. Everything else has been stripped away. Yeah. And I think the notion of it, it is a high level concept and I think you're explaining it quite well, but it's a high level concept that is easily, not not necessarily easily understandable. And like, I, I mean, you're doing a very good job of sitting and explaining it to us, but it, it's easily communicated. Whether someone realizes that the beginning of Lost Boy is intended to sound nostalgic based on these like cultural understandings and shared understanding of how we perceive certain sounds and how things how the culture and the music we've been enculturated in I think that's really impressive that you are consciously like diving in and thinking okay well what is this sound how are we going to put it in the music not just because it's cool but because it's going to create a certain emotion that will either enhance the lyrics enhance the feel of the song and enhance the overall reception of it yeah I've been so fortunate to have like such a group of both like imaginative people but also such supportive singers in my in like invoice box I really did just get lucky because I'll work on my music but it wouldn't have been successful if I don't I have a group of maybe 12 to 15 singers who are also constantly thinking what about the song is is familiar so like if we take an, an arrangement of a new song right we take I don't know what's a song that we did that people know oh god we did Black Widow a long time ago but the things that people know about that song is like the the little cue that da 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 like that's what everyone knows about that song and obviously the melody the, the lyrics but in that example the only thing that remains from the original is that part. We start with that little motif and the listener immediately knows what song it is and I can change everything else but it, it like at that point they already know. They have a familiar place and so every new idea that I can bring with them, at least if I feed it to them one at a time, is very easy for the listener to understand. Something I worked really hard on with my arrangements at least as the years went by was just the pacing of them. Like giving your audience enough time to understand a concept before you introduce a new one. Yeah. I think it's just so important otherwise they'll become overloaded. Yeah, I think that's super important because I think sometimes where groups go wrong when they're trying to be so inventive is that they lose the audience along the way and I I love that you address pacing I think it's super important whether it be pacing or you know just spacing in songs you know even like silence even using little things Mm -hmm. like that just to make the piece just so digestible for an audience and it's a really good word to use with that absolutely and I'm just curious because you brought up also the people that you work with and and I think back to my time when I first started the group and we were at a completely different place but even going into it I was so adamant about you know I got to find the right people to achieve this sound and I have to imagine that 
with the work that you're doing and you're describing to us, which just seems like so high level and so so new and so different, was it hard finding this group of people? Because it takes a, a special group of people to not only be able to perform music, but to be able to be tuned in to one another to be like, hey, this is where our sound should especially in an environment that's this creative yeah this is super creative because we're not talking like i said we're not talking top 40 music anymore. we're talking i know you've done work with cinema you know you don't mention the video game stuff so did you just stumble <laughs> across these people or honestly at first kind of we formed out of a couple different acapella groups all in we were all the members that originally joined were all at different places in our like acapella experience and we were all looking for something that wasn't quite at uh, at our school at the time at the time there were four groups even now there are six and i think a seventh is forming. I didn't go in thinking Nightmare Pop, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, it kind of formed with the people that I eventually, you know, joined the group and like what everyone wanted to do. It was always my style of music. Like I guess my preference, my preferential style, I guess. It's interesting when we, when people audition for our group, we are very upfront with the level of commitment and like what they're going to be doing. We don't really explain what kind of music we're going to be doing. We do, obviously everyone knows like, oh yeah, you're going to audition for Voice Box. Well, they're the creepy group, have fun. And a lot of people are like really into that, which is great. I mean, we're not out there trying to be creepy, but creepy is fun because not enough people do it. I mean, I guess I take that back now. It's 2019. No, but I, but I think that's a, yeah. that's not something people generally associate in regards to characterizing a group. People think of smooth, no. they think mm -hmm. of sexy, they think of impressive or like star power, but creepy is not, is something that in kind of an exciting yeah. way feels kind of at odds with the notion of performing and getting out there and being kind of like a yeah. rock star or like the kind of karaoke aspect that is very infused in acapella. The notion of that being a scary or creepy thing, I think is a really fresh and exciting yeah. avenue. And with that, John, I think a lot of acapella, it's kind of had that element of comedy as well. I think a, mm -hmm. a lot of the groups that I initially fell in love with, they use comedy as such a big shtick to their sound, to their performance and things. So when you mention creepy, that's nothing I would ever associate with acapella group. Yeah. I honestly applaud the groups that really pull off the comedy because I just mentally, I would have no idea how to prepare that. And I've seen some really funny groups live. And I just, every time I'm like, I don't know how you're doing that, but keep it on. Believe it or not, I would say Voicebox doesn't try to be creepy. It, well, I mean, now we do, but the original <laughs> goal is to just kind of create successfully create an atmosphere so that you feel something so anytime we're, we're picking a song we're usually picking an emotion that we're trying to get someone to feel mm -hmm. and as we we did that we did find that the i guess the feeling of like the, the creepiness the anxiety the fear that kind of like motion is not really tapped into an acapella at least it wasn't at the time yeah and because of that we, we tried that out and we tried a little bit more and we tried we started because uh when we went to icca finals we did a, a hocus pocus set so it was all about like the same Anderson sisters, basically. And we thought at that time it wasn't to be creepy. It was for our own nostalgia. We all love that movie. We all watch that movie once a week. At least we did at the time. <laughs> but that, um, that of, was definitely... That a lot of Bette Midler. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just enough Bette Midler. But everybody was very, I would say almost like enamored by the idea that we could go on stage and play pretend. You know what I mean? We got to be witches. We got to do whatever we want. And that was great. And then from then on, people were like, oh, we really love the mystical idea. And so we're like, well, let's play with that a little bit more. Um, and then the next year, So Jam, there was a round that was like, do what only you can do. And that's when I introduced Lost Boy. And the set was all based around Heathens, which was also stripped of everything except for the melody. I just really like the melody of that song, too. It's a good melody. It's a little repetitive, but the lyrics are just 
It's, it's a little spooky, and it's even spookier when mixed with, like, you wouldn't know it, but it's got a lot of Edgar Allan Poe in the background, and the, the entire arrangement and the entire function of it was just to make you uneasy. The entire set was specifically designed to try and make you feel uneasy. It was for us to, we never looked at the audience except when we said the words you, and those are like little things, but like in, in context of the video, you if you watch back, you would notice those small moves and it paid off, I think. Maybe not the first performance, but after we got some practice and we also got a lot of feedback on it, the function of making you feel in, uneasy is just doing things that on stage that, you know, staring at someone for just long enough that you force them to look away. That's the kind of stuff we like. It's a very developed sense of theatricality, it sounds like, much more than I think we're used <laughs> to seeing, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and I think that it's also refreshing to hear because initially when you mentioned creepy, I was just thinking, okay, fear is the first thing that comes to mind. And I'm just like, how do you get so much like fear out of a set? And like, initially, I'm thinking of those groups that made you kind of feel as you're, you're talking talking about uneasy and stuff and you know my first go-to is like those heavy metal type musicians mm. back in the day or even till now I don't really listen to a lot of heavy death metal type stuff now but I'm just like just hearing these the elements that you're bringing up and also just the inclusion of fantasy and how you want the audience just to kind of turn away but you still kind of have them but still engaging right them making them turn away yeah how yeah, we're we don't want you to be so scared that you like leave or uncom like really <laughs> truly uncomfortable. The idea, like I mean, you know, we're right. fifteen singers, we're an acapella group. They know we they know we're an acapella group, but the idea that we can share like create that is like that experience. It should be inviting enough that you feel comfortable to enjoy the performance. But we want you to like like people watch horror movies all the time and they love it not because they think a serial killer is going to kill them, but they love that the adrenaline, the feel. Um, and we, we pushed, we tried to really push that at boss with our, our first set. Cause at the, the entire first set, the soloist, she sits down on what looks like a chair, but by the end she like climbs up and it's a staircase and she reaches the top and the entire song is like, who will become the beast? Or is it you or is it me? And right before she stands up though, we, we throw red paint on her dress and it bleeds down and you wouldn't, mm -hmm. you don't really see it until she's standing, but like that kind of moment is a moment for the audience if, if we disguise it well enough, which I think we did, um, where they really would not expect it to the point where like, okay, wait, what is that? <laughs> so with that, uh, we're going to take one quick short break and uh, we've been talking with Harrison Acosta here. Uh, we're actually going to throw it over and listen to his track, Lost Boy, that uh, Voicebox did. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back on Tacapella. I am a lost boy from Neverland Usually hanging out with Peter Pan And when we're bored we play in the woods Always on the run from Captain Hook Run, run, lost boy They say to me Away from reality Neverland is home place to call home my only friend was the man in the moon and even sometimes he would go away to then I saw a shadow flying high he came to me with the sweetest smile told me he wanted 
to talk for a while He said, Peter Pan, that's what they call me I promise that you'll never be lonely And ever since that day Since that day, that day I am a lost boy Welcome back to Tacapella. Thanks, guys, for joining us. We're back here on Tacapella. Uh, John and I have been speaking with Harrison Acosta. Harrison um, has done a lot of work with really transforming the groups. And we've been talking about just kind of the mindset of incorporating the music you probably wouldn't expect to hear from a traditional acapella group. We've been talking about, you know, video game music. Um, we've been talking about presentations uh and just different like goals and and designs and structures yeah. that this kind of music like creates and requires. Yeah, and this has been like super important in the sense that we're talking about a lot of things that it keeps continuing to break break down those barriers of what is capable in acapella, and we're learning a lot today. And for that, and we yeah. did just have I think this episode pairs well with the episode we did with uh, Armand. Oh yeah, uh, last week Completely. where we were talking a lot about breaking down barriers and blazing a new trail, creating a new ground, all that stuff, but in a way that is creative, not just different because something should be different, but that is different in a way that like expands the genre. And this is kind of cool. We were talking about like what could do that last week and now we're getting a really clear answer. Yeah. And it's, and it's super exciting to hear this from a very intentional standpoint. It sounds like Harrison has really thought this out. And so, so with that, with everything we've been discussing, Harrison, I'm curious, how do you bring this into a a group that you're working with? I know that you've done master classes, you arrange professionally, you know, how do you introduce a new group to this as you're working with them? A lot of times when I'm Working with groups, my first thought, I mean, I'm, I'm going to listen to them, but my first thought is to see what their intention is. I'm a big proponent of, uh, I guess it's like weird to phrase, but like I respect the music. I like, I want you to understand what kind of song are you doing? Why are you doing it? And like a lot of groups, for example, so I recently worked with Amazing Blue and what a group of innovative singers. All Like I love that kind of, it's all, it's just refreshing to see other groups being innovative, but in, in a way that is kind of unique to what I've been doing. I think it really comes to their arrangement, but it's also like their choices. And I, they worked, uh, I worked with them on a song. I can't quite remember what song it was. They did an, like an R&B influence song. So a lot of time when, when I'm working with groups or even when, when Voicebox is working with or working on a song, we have to literally go and understand why that song is in that genre like if i'm gonna go work with r&b or if i'm arranging r&b i understand that like there is a an instrumentation that has always been successful there's a voicing that that is very unique to r&b or gospel and oh gospel Mm -hmm. that's what it was they had a gospel song and a lot of gospel is like a lot of men on the same part a lot of women in a very meaty wailing range and a lot of it is just understanding that you can't 
Like, you know, you don't want to sound classical. You don't want to sound very clean. It, it needs to be a little bit more rough, a little bit more raw. Um, but stuff like, like in any genre, you really need to understand what that genre sounds like in order to uh, represent it well, especially in acapella, because I'm not imitating. I'm trying to emulate. I'm trying to honor and appreciate the, the music that I'm singing. And so right. a lot of time when I'm working with a group, I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out what their goal is and how to better help them communicate that goal. And I'm curious, is it difficult to kind of help? And I think this kind of parallels really well with the things we've been discussing with you. Is it difficult to help a group to kind of become unhinged a little bit when they're discovering a new way of singing or a new they're discovering a a different type of music that they may not be too familiar with? Do you find that difficult in teaching that to someone you work with? It really does depend on the group. Some groups do, especially groups that are a little bit more, you know, ran by tradition or groups that have been around for a long time who have a very specific way of doing things. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's harder to break that mold. But also, a lot of times, you know, it's not about breaking it. It's just about seeing what works and what, what we can do to help you. Like, I'm not here to change you. I'm just here to hopefully give you enough ideas that you can learn something or you can go and, you know, become a, a more efficient version of yourself. On that idea of, like, breaking molds and presenting different ideas, what do you find are the most difficult traditions to break within a group when you're working with them? (laughs) Uh, Musically or or just in general? Either. Either. I'm trying to think. Things that a lot of groups, I feel like, gasp every time they hear. Like, voice boxes and audition solos. Honestly, that is, like, such a big one for some reason. People are like, what? Huh? Yeah, same. I just did. (laughs) (laughs) How do, okay. How, oh, so how do you how do you handle solos? So in in general, like when we're for example song selection, every member of the group they basically submit two songs that they'd love to hear themselves singing. They submit two songs that they'd love to hear the ensemble sing. And there's no guarantee mm-hmm. that you know we're gonna do any of those music. But part of I think what makes Voicebox work so well is the very open culture about everything. And part of that, like when it comes down to song selection, realistically, like mathematically, every song can only there's only one best version of that song. I, that's a very weird way to phrase it, but like only one person can really sing it the best. I would I would say right. a lot of groups that I see that are doing pop songs have the same girl singer for every song. A lot of times it's because I mean some I mean maybe not, but like maybe she is the best pop singer. But groups that are that feel very trapped that they can't do like or they have a soloist who's like I can't sing it because you know homegirl over there is gonna sing it every song. Uh, like because we are having every member submit songs that they'd like to sing also songs that they would love to hear the ensemble sing we get a large variety like a lot of times if you were stuck in that way maybe try not suggesting Demi's new hit again and like you know it's a lot of repetitive motions in a group when we're doing songs I usually just kind of pick the soloist but it it really is such an open environment that if someone does feel like you know I do bring something to the song I'd like you to hear it I'm like well go for it girl like record the song send it in I'll listen to it I will see what I think I'll probably usually show the officers as the officers but it's open enough that anyone can really challenge anything at any time but there's a very aware sense of the who the director is like whether it's me or the new director or the new like exec director everyone knows the final decision comes to them and you don't question that over and over because it's just a waste of time so I'm curious with that because we talk a lot about these kind of uh, internal structural things that groups do and you bringing up solos it just sent me on a flashback and 
to, you know, what we had girls like that in past groups I've been with. And, you know, I thought that that would have been the perfect method for doing it, but that would have never flown in my group. I'm just curious with the, the groups you've worked with in VoiceBox as an example. Have you ever been at a position where the group was at a point where they knew that this was the person that should be on the song and the song was arranged and you're performing it and then you kind of change your mind along the way? I'm like, oh, this actually someone's another person comes along and, you know, they're actually better suited for the part. Has that ever come up at all? Yeah, um, it, it does happen. It happens more casually from year to year where we'll have a new person come in like, hey, actually, maybe you should sing House of the Rising Sun or maybe you or sometimes we'll honestly just change it up just for the sake of like someone's like, actually, I kind of want to try it and like, go for it. Not usually in competition. However, mm-hmm. there has been a time where we will, we've done a competition. We actually won a quarterfinal. And then after that, we're like, Maybe not. Um, actually, let's try this. So we, there were three soloists on one song. We had them all switch. They all moved around, and then one girl, mm. actually, we took off that song, but we put her on a different song because obviously she's a fantastic singer. There are people in VoiceBox who've never had a solo, and it's okay because you're in VoiceBox. Like, for us, every person in here is obviously talented enough to be here. There's no harm in understanding, like, I'm sorry that you didn't get a solo to compete with, but the reality is that there's, you know, a limited number of songs. My bass, Farley, love him to death. Every Every time another group, we, we have there's a lot of groups at UCF and there's a lot of groups we meet and we, we do hear that kind of complaint a lot where someone's like, I just never get a solo. And Farley's like, I sing bass all the time and this is the best damn solo I've ever had. And it's the same thing, my top stop from the literally the first four years of VoiceBox, she never got a solo, but she is the best top stop I have ever had and she knows it and she works those long extended pads every time on stage. <laughs> To me, that's that's probably the most difficult thing to teach within groups is your musical role in a group, not so much your position and, you know, function as a business person or a member of a group in a sense of president, music director, things like that, just where your voice fits and being okay with that. And I'm, I'm glad yeah. that it worked out for you, for you all, but that, that's such a challenging thing for other groups. I know, I know it is. I think also yeah. in collegiate groups where, and, and scholastic groups where things are a bit more structured in... For because they kind of have to be, whereas yeah. something that is post collegiate, you have a bit more flexibility and a bit more agency. Again, a little less stability, but I can understand that you can have a bit more flexibility because of the nature and also the maturity of the people that are in the group. That you can kind of bend these rules or not even use these rules that we generally do use in Scholastic or the standard ICCA group. You can kind of abandon those if you want, based on because you know your groups well. Like I know these are my six people I found throughout the state or whatever and we're going to make our group I know them individually so well and I know their careers and whatever that I know they're going to be okay not getting a solo whereas if we did that in a collegiate group maybe that lack of structure or that not even lack of structure but that desire to not engage with certain structures I could see that being much more detrimental than how you've managed to do it, Harrison. Yeah, I I do see the issues a lot, which is why a lot of times when I'm talking with groups, I'm usually offering our system so people understand how it works, and I give them the chance. Usually I talk to the entire group also, and nobody wants, like, I can't imagine a group coming back from, like, SoJam, and their first rehearsal director's like, I'm changing everything, get ready. (laughs) Not quite the best way to present that, but a lot, especially that, that kind of issue specifically stems from a lot of, I know that level of confidence that can happen, especially if you're alto too and you never sing a solo. So a lot of stuff that we do in VoiceBox is to keep that confidence up. Everyone really is equivalent because there's no 
you know, every back is essential in our group, every singer is essential. Your soloist is not more important than your tenor two, maybe to your audience, but not to us. And part, like, there, there are so, there are many small things that affect that, like a very small thing that I will tell a lot of directors, something we've done for a long time in voice box, is just like, for example, uh, like a classroom is set up to give power to the person in the front. Whenever we have announcements or we have a discussion, everyone has to sit in the same level, which means everyone sits on the floor or everyone sits on chairs. We don't normally tell our members that, but eventually they find out. But it's very a very like passed down through the officers that the officers know to make sure that everyone is on an equal field when talking about like any any general topic. Just like a cultural thing, psychological, just in how you structure your group culture. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious because I know that as we're talking, I'm learning a lot about how you can do things in a group. And I know that specifically for you, you've had a lot of success with your groups in terms of whether it be a outstanding arrangement awards or you guys have gone on to win events such as so jam and boss feel free to not divulge too many secrets or whatever but what do you focus <laughs> on when it comes to you know finding success at these events because i know the uh, collegiate space is such a competitive space and uh, i know that is a big uh, aspect for a lot of groups you know it's not for every group but it is for some and you know what what do you tell your groups what do you focus on and what do you tell these other groups as you're working with them to kind of help them achieve this same level of success honestly it's like a really hard lesson to learn but we've really learned to stop caring <laughs> we a lot of the music that we do is really for us and we've learned a better way to communicate it to our audience but a lot of that is honestly has honestly come from us focusing less on the judges and more on the uh, like general effect for the audience because in general if we can appeal to the the masses of the audience we can probably appeal to the five judges and on top of separate from that idea also we're obviously very focused on our technical aspect our music our choreography um i think music is our, our definitely our biggest focus Mm -hmm. But the lesson really comes from just for us not caring what what the judges think. And a lot of times we're singing for us, not for you, but we really hope you enjoy it. <laughs> when we're presenting our sets a lot of the time, especially like in advance for competitions, say So Jam is coming up. The first thing we're going to do is we, we don't know what the themes are. We're going to go look at, honestly, the top 40s. And we're going to see what's popular. We're going to see what, what uh, people are interested in. We may not do those songs, but it's really important to know the style of music that's happening. I know everyone's like, we're gonna sing whatever, but you can't ignore what is popular, you can't ignore what is successful. And if it's successful in popular music, even if it's because they bought their way to the top, it's what people are listening to. We were really, imp uh, not impressed, we were very surprised and very thankful to have one boss despite doing no popular songs. Whereas at So Jam, it was very opposite. We, oh, we did uh, Manufactured Love, which not, not a lot of people know, but we did The Greatest by Sia. We did The House of the Rising Sun. We did Lost Boy. We did Heathens. We did Victorious by Panic. Um, when we did Boss, it was the opposite. We were exclusively looking for music that would create the, the very specific vibe that their, uh, that their rubric was you know, going for, for us, a response to a piece of art where we, their, yeah, their set was basically find a piece of art and respond to it and so our first thing was to go down find a couple of different pieces of art that we all felt I, it's weird to explain i guess we all felt some way we would just look at paintings and sometimes we would find a really beautiful one and everyone would be like oh you know like a mass of 15 people being wowed and we would wonder why is that beautiful there's one painting we almost went through. Uh, I can't remember what, it, what it's called. It's a very famous portrait. It's mostly gold, but there's a woman in the middle, and she's, like, holding a, a thing of pearls. And for some reason, the pearls themselves are so beautiful. They're, like, very well painted. And, like, that idea, for some reason, stood out to us. We just couldn't quite put the music to it. Like, how do I put that into words? Um, the painting we ended up 
choosing was um, Judith Slaying Hall of Fairness is what it's called. And it's like the fallen angel. And the idea in that painting is a woman who is slaying a man. And the, that painting has been painted. There are so many iterations of it for, for centuries. And the one of the most famous ones, is, which is the one we responded to, the artist, she painted herself slaying her mentor who had raped her. I, I don't really know the timeline or really too many details of that. Our, we have an artistic director on our group. Christine Zach. She also is an art buff and she knows everything about art history. And that painting is really important to her. And uh, understanding the history of that painting, she had trial for it and the man got, uh, like he got off and there was, the, uh, there's a lot of details in it. But the painting was famous because she painted herself in it, like slaying him. And it shows like her assistant in the photo. The, the photograph is really, truly beautiful. Um, but we took that that feeling and there's a lot of, I guess, feminist undertones in the art and also in the music that we chose to perform. It's really hard to explain, but you will completely be able to hear it on our album. <laughs> yeah, and I think what's what's working so well and what I'm appreciating is you all's ability to kind of look externally at music and at art and yeah. just kind of infuse that into what you're doing because, and it's something you said at the beginning of our, um, of our show, you mentioned that you guys don't try to imitate and I feel like so much, and it's so easy to do it with us, with, uh, you know, the genre being such a kind of cover focus genre at the end of the day, and you all are pulling from art and you're pulling from all these different sources that, you know, what you wouldn't initially think to look at first in order to yeah. develop the music. And it's that's super important uh, at the end of the day. So I'm like, you guys are, you know, I commend you for that. And I think that this is what other groups should be looking at, because I think a lot of times we kind of struggle with, you know, how can we make something different? I'm like, well, just look outside the music first look mm-hmm. and go from there. And so this is this is uh, really enlightening. Yeah. Have there ever been I mean, what other pieces of art have you used to inspire these kind of conversations and this kind of program development? So some like small ones that we've done. Our second round of So Jam, the idea was Georgia. The theme was called Georgia on my mind. And it was the, the theme was Southern. And I when going in, we knew we were going to hear country. Literally Beyonce's new album came out. We knew we were going to hear daddy lessons. There was going to be 30 daddy lessons. And let me tell you, we were right. We were trying to think <laughs> like, what is a different direction we could take this? And just so happened to have just seen Princess and the Frog. I was like, well, here we go. What is a different thing? We thought New Orleans voodoo. So we took, we had already done the song House of the Rising Sun. And we had already learned a lot. Uh, actually, speaking of House of the Rising Sun, the lyrics that we all come to know by the animals are not the original lyrics. The song has been tossed around from culture to culture. We found uh, one uh, a set of far older lyrics written on a, I think, a bathroom stall in a in the original. I think House of the Rising Sun. It's like a, a small hotel or an inn in New Orleans. We found a picture of it, and the lyrics are corrected to be a from a girl's point of view who killed her father for abusing her mother and it's her taking the train to prison and it's a letter to her sister saying don't do what I did but I did this so that you could do better and like stuff like that we would never have known if we had not researched you know the music and you found this really improved your performance you improved the underst- the artistic understanding and artistic intention of your of the music you were creating and performing yeah yeah cuz we i mean a lot of people I mean, obviously everyone knows the song but for a you don't have to know the alternative lyrics. We didn't change the lyrics, but knowing the original lyrics gave us the ability to better perform, you know, the song as it was intended. Or at least, I mean, maybe it wasn't written that way, and it's very possible that it wasn't, but it definitely gave us the emotion to at least tell someone's story. I'm sure that story has been told before. Well said. So, everyone, we're going to take one more quick break, then we're going to come back for our last segment here on today's episode of Tacapella with Harrison Acosta, and we're going to be right back. 
Each year as we travel the world here at Acaville to bring you coverage of festivals and events, we have a chance to sit down with some amazing groups and artists. Starting on our new show, The Pulse, you'll get to sit down with them too, alongside host Rachel as she brings you some of the best of our interviews from the different festivals and workshops that she's attended. Check out The Pulse every Tuesday at 9 p.m. East, 6 p.m. West, and then again on rebroadcast Sunday at 1 p.m. East, 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. West. And welcome back to Tacapella. We've had a fun time today with Harrison Acosta, just diving into some more unusual but uh, equally fascinating topics in acapella that's uh, been really enlightening and really just exploratory and I think a really fun and enjoyable way. And normally we go straight into the biggest piece of advice. We always ask our guests their biggest piece of advice for the acapella community. But Brian has started doing this like little lightning round thing uh, <laughs> and it's pretty cute and it's pretty funny. And uh, oh, it's I, more I, than just cute. I, well, I, I think it's good. I think it's I think it's entertaining. <laughs> it's, it's banter. Yeah, that's a nice dynamic to the to the show. And it gives us an insight into our guests that we might not have been able to pull out True. during this show. Just from discussions about acapella. Absolutely. Brian, take it away for our lightning round. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. So we have compiled a few questions that might be acapella related that might not be acapella related. And uh, Harrison, we are going to pose them to you. And we want the first response that comes to mind. We don't even really want you to don't think, think about, about it. Don't think about it. Yeah. We'll know if you're thinking about it. I'm so uh, indecisive. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to go back to back, and uh, we'll just uh, we'll yeah. end where we end. All right, so first question: What is your favorite cinema composition that you would turn into a vocal arrangement? Oh gosh, cinema! Uh, 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 it's a song called Equation. It's from The Little Prince. Nice. Ooh. Which is the better holiday music, Halloween or Christmas? Halloween. <laughs> oh, nice. That was unexpected. All right. Which, which one is your favorite Disney soundtrack? Ooh, Disney. Probably. That's such a hard question. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wally. <laughs> okay. Favorite theme song? Like for a show, movie? Either. Uh, favorite theme. Oh, I got it. The Nanny. The Nanny. Ooh, okay. I like it. Uh, what is your favorite video game? Uh, Journey by that game company. Nice. nice. Favorite movie score? A uh, movie score? Ooh. Um, oh, I think The Little Prince. Nice. Little Prince. Okay. And then what group, uh, what is your favorite group to listen to that's not your own? So no voice box. That's acapella? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, probably Aurora. Nice. Ooh, Good choice. I like it. All right. I like doing that. I think that's fun. I think that's, that is. I, I, I like doing that. We'll do, we'll do that more. And then Harrison, we always ask our guests the biggest piece of advice they would like to give to the acapella community. It can be to arrangers, it can be to directors, or it can be to the community as a whole. Uh, what piece of advice would you give to the acapella community? I would say it's to really take some time to think about your group's culture and how you can better it. Because I think your group culture really affects everything. And I think, especially now being out of my acapella group, I am really thankful that we, we were so lucky to have such a strong culture because the experience of it, the, you know, your college experience is really so impacted by it and the people you're around. Harrison, if people want to see what you're doing or what you're up to or what your former group Voicebox is doing, how could they do that? Ooh, for Voicebox, definitely check out the YouTube. We've recently released a few music videos and we are planning on doing more. Um, there is no announcement yet, but there is uh, an album or two coming. Uh, their Instagram is the Voice BX. There's no O. Don't be trapped. And they don't have a Twitter. Don't check it. YouTube, let's see, YouTube, Instagram. They have Facebook. Literally, just look up The Voice BX, and it'll be there. For me, I just have an Instagram. It's, hi, I'm Harrison. You know, 
follow me, find me. In the future, there will be another group. There is, it's a little under wraps, but I am very excited to be working on it uh, with Elliot Von Wendt, and it'll hopefully, hopefully be ready soon. I'm just really trying to get adjusted to moving to Boston now, but you know, soon. (laughs) And then Brian, if people want to get a hold of you, where can they do that, man? Uh, As always, you can find me on Twitter at the Brian Alex, Brian with an I. And then for everything that I do with college acapella, go follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. And you can find me in the same place at John Lampus, J-O-H-N-L-A-M-P-U-S on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure to follow everything Acaville Radio on all social media platforms at the handle Acaville Radio and check out Tacapella on Twitter and our website, tacapella.org. Harrison, thanks for coming on for a great, insightful episode today. It was a little offbeat. It was a little, it was a little oh. different, and I think that's <laughs> what made it fun. Thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It was so fun. Absolutely. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Tacapella. We'll be back next week with a new episode. And until then, for everything acapella, please stay tuned.